John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Also, at the same time, we're launching our small groups, which is uh, next week. Also, we're launching our life application classes, and we call them iGen app classes. I'm an iPhone guy, and uh, I love the whole Mac thing. So we've got, uh, we've got these iGen app, which are life application classes. And we're dealing with the head and the heart and the hand. Uh, the head is the book of James. We're going to be uh, studying verse by verse the book of James. This starts the Sunday after Easter. That's going to be in the head track. The heart track, we're going to be uh, discussing and unpacking the biblical roles and responsibilities of the family. Uh, that will be in our heart track. In our hand track, it's going to be a very practical track. Uh, we're going to break out a study Bible and teach how to study and use a study Bible. And then we're going to transition that track uh, into the computers. How many, how many study do most of your reading on, online now or on computers or what have you? Raise your hand. There's quite a few. Uh, I do all of mine now. Back early in my ministry, I, I bought all these hardback books, and, and I have about in my personal library, and they're not all at the office. I couldn't get them all in there, and many of them are stored in boxes. But I have about close to 7,000 uh, volume library of my own, of just books that I have bought through the years, and, and uh, I've got them all sorted. And there was a day when I used to go to my shelves, and I've got them all categorized, and I would pull off books for different studies. And uh, back in the day, I used to have one of those huge, big desks, um, even before I came here, I had one of those big desks, and I would lay out all these books across this desk, and it would take me a little while to get set up to study. But now the cool thing is, all of that is on my Mac. Now I have about 15,000 digital volume library on my Mac. I put in one keyword, and boom, it researches my entire library, and there it is. Um, that's awesome. So we're going to be teaching you how to use that uh, in the practical application classes that will start the Sunday after after Easter, okay? For those that are in that track, and if you don't have Logos, I think there's a demo that we're going to download for those that are in the class, and you'll be able to have a working demonstration of it uh, if you would like to, uh, to get that in the future, okay? Turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Acts chapter number 2, actually, is where we're going to be gleaning from this morning. Last week, I uh, introduced a concept of becoming a counter-cultural community of believers. A counter-cultural community of believers. A counter-cultural church. And last week I shared with you three, I guess, descriptions or three characteristics of what it would be to become a, a counter-cultural community of believers. But first of all, I think it's important that we define the term countercultural. What do I mean? Whenever I talk about us being a countercultural church or a countercultural community of believers, what is it that I'm really talking about? Well, here's the definition straight out of the dictionary it's a culture with lifestyles and values that are opposed to those of the established culture. In other words, we're going against the grain. 
I mean, we're, going, we're, we're swimming upstream. We're not going with the current. We're going the opposite way that the current is going. We're going the opposite way that the culture is going. Now, of course, we as believers and we as Christ followers and we as Christians, surely it should be obvious that, that we're going contrary to the direction that the world is going. We're going the opposite direction of that. Hopefully we're not involved in sinful lifestyles. We've changed. We become a new person whenever we met Christ as our Savior. We're, we're living a new life in Christ Jesus. So I guess it's, it goes without saying we should be countercultural to the world. That's obvious. I'm being a little bit more particular here with this theme. I'm talking about being countercultural to the status quo church that meets on any given Sunday, regardless of denomination or religious affiliation. I'm talking about us being a community of believers, and, and, I, and I like using the term that I used last week, being a little bit radical. Being somewhat of a, of a fanatic. I mean, you know what? As you, as you go to these ball games, and, and last night we watched the Cardinals win. Man, how about this? Four games in a row now. And how, did you see that? See, the, see them beat the Dodgers last night? You had to sit up late to watch it, but it was on. And a pretty good game. You know, but I see all these fans around there, and I see them cheering and yelling. And, and of course, the stadium was about half empty by the end of the game, and, and uh, the Dodger fans were dispersing and leaving, but they had a little rally where they got a guy on base and got a little hit, and, and those that were left, you'd see them stand up and cheer. You know what they were? They were fans of the Dodgers. And then whenever a Cardinal guy would strike out or get thrown out, and we got one thrown out the plate last night, whenever something like that happens, they would stand up and they would cheer for their team. We don't think anything about that in the sports arenas, do we? We all do that, do we not? I mean, we go to these, all these events, whether it be a football game, a basketball game, whether it be a, a baseball game. We had a men's alley in my house. We all got together and watched the Tar Heels and Duke play basketball. And I mean, and Mr. Tate was in there, man. He was doing his thing while they were watching the ball game going on. I mean, the guys were having fun. They were cheering and yelling and caring. That's the norm. Why is it that whenever it comes to Christ, why is it whenever it comes to our faith, why is it that, it, that, that when it comes to the foundational doctrinal belief, the plan of salvation, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. What an awesome week this is. This is, this is Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus in preparation to go to the cross on Friday and die. And then the glorious resurrection that takes place on that Sunday morning. Why is it we can't get excited about that? I mean, that changed my life. That redeemed my soul. And that he, Jesus is everything to me. Now, whatever I do, I try to do it wholeheartedly. I mean, I do it with my whole heart. I want to, I want to, do, I want to go all... If I'm going to invest in something, I want to do it wholeheartedly. I don't want to play around with it. I, don't, I want to do it. The same thing is true in my Christian walk. I don't want to be a Christian that just sits on the fence post. I don't want to be a Christian that when I'm out in the community on... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, through the week, that people have a hard time discerning whether you're even a believer or not. You know, I don't want to be a Christian that's incognito. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to be an undercover Christian. I want folks to know, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus. I am a Christian. I am a Christ. I'm not any better than you. Right? I'm not judging you for who you are. I'm just telling you, I have trusted. We ought to get excited about that. But the average church in America today... And the average Christian that's connected to the average church in America today, what I call the status quo church, they kind of show up and go through the motions and go home 
and it never really radically transforms their life. Just go through the motions. I hope we can be a church that is contrary to that. I hope we can be a church that takes our faith seriously. I mean, that's part of our motto, casual atmosphere, which I love the sofas, don't you? Hello? Man, aren't these things cool? You mind if I preach right here? I kind of like this. Casual atmosphere, I have have no problem with that whatsoever. But listen, I believe in a serious faith. It should, the gospel of Jesus Christ should change your life. And if it hasn't, I question, do you really know him? You see, I'm not talking about being religious I'm talking about developing and cultivating an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He changed my life. The gospel of Jesus Christ literally changed my life. And I want to be labeled radical. I have no problem with that. Amen? Right? I want to be... Man, that man's crazy. That's okay. I want to be crazy for Jesus. I have no problem with that. I'm not ashamed of being... Matter of fact, this past week, let me share something with you. I was exposed, I was exposed to an element in our culture that I've never been exposed to. This past week I was in Chicago and I was up there with our Illinois mission board and, and we're really praying about getting into the cities and getting out of the countries, but getting into the cities and, and planting churches. So we went to this urban conference. Timothy Keller was there. You may know Timothy Keller from... Uh, the Redeemer Presbyterian Church over in uh, out in New York, and a great speaker and great man of God, and and has built a tremendous work in the inner city of New York. And so the whole conference was built on urban ministry. I mean, in the inner city, doing ministry, not in the suburbs, not out kind of where we live, but really around the core, the heartbeat of the city. And I was introduced to a culture that I had never been exposed to. Get this. After the conference, they had a concert. Hold on to your, hold on to your seats right here. You know who the concert was? It wasn't Third Day. It wasn't Casting Crown. It wasn't Chris Tomlin. It wasn't Michael W. Smith. It, it wasn't all these contemporary artists that we sing a lot of their songs. You know who it was? Lecrae? 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 You know who, the other one? Triple E? Triple E? You know who the other one was? The other one was a guy out of St. Louis who wore a Cardinals hat and Cardinals jersey and came out and... I forget his name. But it was hip-hop. Let me pull my pants up. <laughs> hey, those guys had their... Get this. Those guys had their pants up. Amen? There was no pants on the ground, pants on the ground up there. They had their pants up. All right? I like that. Okay, but here's the thing about that. Those guys came out. Now they're reaching. They're reaching a part of our culture I'd never reach. I mean, as a matter of fact, he came out and he sang the first song, and I, I really couldn't understand it. I loved the beat. Man, that bass was beating in that place. I literally, my heart would beat and it would vibrate four times. I mean, you could feel the bass. You know what I like about these guys? These guys were real. And these guys were radicals. And these guys were conservative and fundamental in their doctrine. Matter of fact, while they were singing, he kept he, he shared his testimony. By the way, did you realize that Lecree and Triple E, 
Both of these guys took off one year from touring, from singing, concerts. They took off, said, we're not going to sing, we're not going to do anything, we're not going to write any songs. And they went to seminary. And they said, you know what? When we are writing songs, we want our lyrics to be biblically sound. I appreciate that. Amen? And then they gave their testimony, and then they started singing, and and then they would slow down, and he would unpack the words. And get this, these guys just didn't show up for for a for a concert, they were engaged, sitting in the same congregation that I was sitting in. There was about 15,000 there at this conference. But they were sitting there taking notes, listening to all the speakers, and trying to learn how they could reach the inner cities wherever they were serving. But then here's what I like about it. He said, listen, we are not gangsters. We are fanatics for Jesus. And matter of fact, while they were doing their thing, I mean, they were just doing, I like one song, it's called My Top Down and Driving the Car with My Top Down. It's kind of doing this kind of stuff. And it's, come on, everybody do it. So here this white boy is, a very little rhythm. I'm out there trying to, you know, drive with my top down. And, and uh, somebody was saying, preacher, what are you doing? I said, hey, I'm kind of connecting here, you know. I love their gospel. I love their message. Why can't I connect with this? So I told, I told those preachers that were with me, and a couple of them stood off to the side, and they said, I can't believe you. I said, you know what I'm going to do when I get home? My daughter has a PT convertible cruiser. I'm going to put the top down. I'm going to crank up the music. I'm going to drive through Mascouda and Oak Island, and I'm going to talk about how I love Jesus. Amen? But here's what these guys would always say. They, they said this in this concert. They said, and they kept saying it. They kept preaching it over and over again. Now, we're not going to go to hip-hop. I can't do that. I don't know, but, uh, you know... It's, it's kind of, I mean, I, but here's what I like about them. They said, we are not gangster. Matter of fact, I don't know what the symbolism is for being gangster. I don't know what the dance may be for being gangster. I don't know what the mode or the words or the terminology or, or the hat on a certain way identifies you as a gangster. I don't know any of that. But Lacree knows it. And you know what he did during his concert? While he's giving his concert, he would stop and say, stop that. We're not gangster. We love Jesus. He would stop some people. I don't know what they were doing, but whatever they were doing, it identified them with the secular world of the gangster rap music with horrible lyrics. And he would say, stop. I mean, while he said, stop. We're not gangster. We're here to worship Jesus. He did that three or four times during his performance. I finally asked a guy, what, what's he doing? I don't understand. What's he doing? And then the guy told me, there's somebody up there doing some type of gangster move, and this isn't gangster. Oh, man, I appreciate that. You know, you know what Lecree is in his culture? He's a counter-cultural rap artist. I mean, he's going against the grain even in his culture. I just want you to see the parallel there. I want us as believers, I want us as a body of Christ, I want us as Victory Church to not settle for the status quo. I don't want us to be just another church building another building that just takes up property and it's going to be 203 Scott Troy Road. I just don't want us to be another church kind of goes to the motions and has service and we pay a power bill and we pay a mortgage and, and it never changes lives. It's never transformational. It's never life changing. It's something we never can. I don't want anything. I, listen, listen, get this. We only have one life to live. You know, I get one chance at this. Right? You get one chance at this. As I told you last week, man, I'm 46 years old. Some folks, man, you're getting old. I know. I feel it. 
Every day I feel it. You don't have to tell me I know. Right? We get one life to live. And man, I don't want to spend the next, hopefully, 40 years. I'd love to be doing ministry. I'm 86 years old. I mean, people ask me, when are you going to retire? You got your retirement plan? I'm not planning on retiring. I hope I can preach and pastor and minister. When I become a hindrance, when I, I realize I'm in the way, then I'll step aside. But I have no plans of retiring when I get to be 62, 63 and just put on my Bermuda shorts and go down to, to Florida and play shuffleboard and just cruise or whatever. Did my battery die? Am I on? We have, we're having some technical problems today. You know what, guys? I don't want to spend the rest of my ministry just going through the motions. We have one life to live. Listen to this, if you will, please. This is a poem called One Life to Live by C.T. Studd. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, to soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life to assume be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life to assume be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life to assume be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let me love with fervor born, burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last only one life yes only one now let me say thy will be done and when at last I'll hear the call I know I'll say twas worth it all only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last amen Boy, man, they resonate in our heart. My point is this. You get one chance at this. That's it. You only get one chance to live for Christ. I don't want to settle for the status quo in my life. Hello? So let's be a countercultural community of believers. What does that look like? Very quickly, turn your worship folder over and you can jot down a few notes. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 46, I promise you I will be fast as I plow through these. Give me about 10 minutes, I will be done. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And then fear came on everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, so they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. And guys, this is the first century church. These are the believers that were there on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit of God descended down upon these believers there in Pentecost, this is what they did after that. This is that first century church. Now, I'm piggybacking off a lot of what I said last week. And last week I shared with you three characteristics of a counter-cultural community of believers. And the first characteristic I shared with you about being a radical Christian, being a fanatic for Jesus, number one, is that we are committed to one another. I mean, there was a commitment with these early believers. They were committed to each other. Guys, we've got to be, as we march forward as a mighty army for Christ Jesus, we need to be, yes, committed to the Lord, but also committed to each other. We need to care for one another. We need to minister to one another. We need to be concerned about each other. Listen, if you're having a bad day, then I want to, I want to grieve with you. I want to, I want to help you. I want to encourage you. I want to come alongside you. If you're crying, I want to cry. If you're rejoicing, I want to rejoice. And that's what scripture says we're to do. We're to be committed to one another. That was last week. Secondly, they had crazy courage. Boy, you remember Peter, the courage that he had when he stood and he boldly proclaimed the word of God and thousands were saved and and they kept on and they went to the temple in Acts 3 and I I went through Acts chapter 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4 and Acts 5 and I demonstrated to you the courage of Peter and, and, and all these other apostles and what they were doing. Listen, guys, we need courage. And in our day that we live in the 21st century, it takes courage to live for Jesus. Everything else there's tolerance for except, you know where I'm going, finish it for me. Come on, get in here. Finish it for me. Christianity. There's tolerance for everything else. But don't you mention Jesus. Why is that? Because they know. Deep down the world knows that there is only one power. And there's only one faith. There's only one Lord. And it's the man Christ Jesus. By the way, he's the only prophet that ever prophesied about his death and died and rose again. You go to his tomb, it's empty. Hallelujah. Amen. Muhammad, everybody, all those, they're still there. Ours is empty. They had a crazy, and that ought to create courage for us. Thirdly, they deep-rooted with a spirit of compassion. They had compassion for one another. They really genuinely cared one for another. Let me give you a few more characteristics here today as we plow through some of these that identify this countercultural community. Number four, they were devoted to God. It says in verse number 46 that every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. You see, these believers, they were fully devoted to Christ. They were devoted to meeting together. Whenever you get in an environment where there is a deep devotion to God, a deep devotion to His Word, you know what's going to take place? Spiritual growth is going to take place in your life. Guys, I hope that we can be devoted enough to God and His Word that we will search and get involved in an intimate community of believers where we can share life with each other, we can be compassionate for one another, we can be concerned about each other, we can be committed with one another, and that's going to take place primarily in our small groups. 
Now, guys, in, in, in our general assembly, whenever we come together here on Sunday morning, that cannot take place here on a Sunday morning. But that can take place. We are devoted to God and devoted to each other and devoted to the Word of God within our small groups. So I want to encourage you, as you sign up and you get in our small groups, you can sign up on the table. You can sign up on your connection card. You can drop in the offering basket at the end of the service. You can email uh, 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 your, your group that you want to be a part of into the church office. You can get connected. But as you get connected in these groups... You know what's going to take place? Spiritual growth is going to rise out of that. And it's all because of being devoted. Now, if we're going to be a counter-cultural community of believers, then we're going to be devoted to God. We're going to be committed to Him. We're going to be devoted to His Word. My son and I had a discussion last night about, about the Word of God. And at the end of the discussion, this is the final authority. This is the Word of God. This is what we live by. This is our standard. And we need to be devoted to that. Another characteristic, number five, jot this one down. Not only were they committed to one another, not only did they have courage, not only were they compassionate, not only were they devoted to God. But in verse number 43, I love this one. There was a climate of expectation. I mean, look, if you will, in verse number 43. The Bible says that fear, now that fear doesn't mean I'm afraid of. It means a reverence. It means an awe. They were awestruck. Boy, I got a great example I could give you right there about being awestruck, but I've got, it's tempting. I got I got to move past it. I don't have time. They were awestruck. I mean, whenever they assembled together, they had great expectancy that God was going to do something in their midst. And the Bible says in that early church that there were great many signs and wonders that were being done in this early church. Let me ask you a question. I wonder, whenever we assemble together, what do you expect to get out of church today? Did you come with an expectancy? Did you come expecting something today? Did you come expecting God to work today? Did you come expecting God to move in your life today? Did you come expecting God to move in others' life? What was your expectancy whenever you came? Boy, we need to sometimes just do a gut check. And I guess judge our motives on why we are here and why we're doing what we're doing. I love in Matthew chapter 11 in verse number 22 through 25. Jesus replied to them, he said, Have faith in God, and I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. In verse 24, Therefore I tell you, all the things you pray and ask for, believe that you will receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against one another, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven will forgive you for your wrongdoing. What was Jesus saying in that passage? Expect great things from me. Seek me, be devoted to me, pray to me, and stand back and expect me to move in your midst. I come to our worship services with great expectations. Matter of fact, I was doing something last week, and, and after I said something to someone, we got off to ourselves, and, and they said, do you, really, do you really think that'll happen? I'm expecting it to happen. Right? I mean, I'm just expecting God to move. I mean, whenever we, whenever we did our relocation thing and bought the 21 acres out on Scott Troy, I was just expecting God to provide, and He did. We ran up into a financial barrier at one point. We couldn't buy the property. We were $30,000 short, and I cried out to God, and I said, God, I believe you've led us here. I believe you're going to do great things. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm expecting something to happen. I called Jack Schmidt, who we bought the property from. I had lunch with him. I talked with Jack. I said, Jack, listen, I don't know if we can buy the property. He said, why? I said, I'm about 30. I'm, I, I said, I'm short on money. He said, well, how much are you short? I said, I'm short about $30,000. He said, that's no problem. I'll write you a check for $30,000. 
You see, we've got to get to the place in our life where we take big steps of faith, we become a little bit radical, we become a little bit fanatical, we just trust Jesus, and we expect God to move. Listen, that's a countercultural community of believers that live life expecting God to move in their life. Hello? I just expect it. I'm, I'm excited about our first building, but, and I, I'm, I'm real excited about that, and God has provided, but I'm excited about a lot more things past that, and I'm expecting God to meet that. Amen? What are you expecting? Let me ask you, do you have a sense of expectancy when you come to church? This group, when they met together, there was fear. In other words, there was reverence. And I, oh, what's God going to do today? We're gathering, we're praying, we're studying His Word, we're fellowshiping with one another, we're committed to each other, we're devoted. What's God going to do today? Do you get up every day and wonder, God, what are you going to do today? How are you going to blow me away today? Amen? There was that sense of expectancy from them. And God, that's only going to come whenever you pray. You see, if you're not praying and asking for things, you're probably not expecting anything. So let me ask you a question. Have you prayed for this worship service this morning? Have you prayed for our praise team that led worship this morning? Have you prayed for our band? Did you pray for the guys involved in the skit? Have you been praying for our children's ministry in the back? Are you praying for our youth ministry as they meet on Sunday evenings? Are you praying for our men's ministry as they meet on a regular basis? Our ladies' ministry as they meet for Bible study? You see, guys, if we're not praying about these things, we're probably not expecting anything. Matter of fact, I know if you're not praying, you're not expecting it. Because when we pray, now we're expecting. And this group had great expectations. Number six, jot this one down. I'm going to hit these last two. Not only were they committed to each other, not only did they have courage, not only did they have compassion, not only were they devoted to God, not only did they have a high level of expectancy, but number six, they had a single focus on Jesus' mission. I mean, they were living out His words. They were living out His commands. And they were focused on what He said. In verse number 46, once again, it says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Every day, every day, they got together and they had this single focus. Guys, you realize it is imperative that whenever we come, that we should do everything that we can to prevent anything from blocking or hindering God's power in our lives so that His power can move freely among us as a church family as well as an individual and that will only take place whenever we have a single focus on Christ Jesus they were focused on his mission and God did wonderful things among them guys we've got to be focused but there are things that block God's power from flowing through us from time to time it's primarily because we're not focused on God What's blocking God's power from flowing through you? What's blocking God's wisdom from flowing through you? What's blocking God's word from flowing through you? You see, it can be a series of things. It may be materialism. It may be shame. It may be anger. Or it could be sin. All of those things, guys, we've got to deal with. How do we deal with them? We ask God to forgive us. Amen? We ask Him to forgive us. As radical followers of Jesus, there should be nothing in our life 
that hinders the movement of God in our hearts and in our lives. D.L. Moody said we need to keep short accounts with God. In other words, when we mess up, stumble and fall in sin, confess it and move on. Don't let them stockpile. and Don't let them pile up. Just deal with them and move on. Last one, number seven. A countercultural community is committed to one another, has courage, has compassion, devoted to each other and devoted to God. High level of expectancy, focused on the mission of Jesus. And number seven, they are filled with praise. Actually, that's the result of being countercultural. That's the result of all these things. It says in verse number 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who are being saved. Let me ask you, do you, do you have an attitude of gratitude? Are you thankful? I mean, when God moves in your life and God moves in our church and in our midst and in your personal families, are you thankful? Who do you praise for that? Do you praise God? Or do you praise your own work ethic or your own wisdom or your own intellect or your own ability to, to acquire things? And The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. I mean, God blesses us with common graces. He blesses us with, with exceptional exponential graces. I mean, God just, he just loves to bless these people. Are we praising him as a result of that? Whenever we come together and worship, I hope and pray that we can be a community of believers that it's not a shame to just worship. Man, if you just want to hold your hands up and worship, do that. I hope we can create an environment where folks are free. If you want to clap, clap. If you want to hold your hand up, hold your hand up. I mean, let's just, we ought to create an environment where we are free to just worship the Lord. They praised him. They were filled with praise. Where are you today? I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed and our band comes and to prepare for our time of reflection. Where are you? You see, all of this, to be countercultural as a community of believers, it first and foremost begins with Jesus. That's where it starts. It starts with Him. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, probably a lot of what I said just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because it's all about serving Him. It's all about living for Him. I'm not inviting you to religion. I'm inviting you to a relationship with Christ. I'm not inviting you to a denomination. I'm inviting you to a relationship with Jesus. Do you know Him? If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, will you just right now in your seat, will you just pray a prayer like this? I'm going to pray it for you. And you just say, God, that's me. I agree with everything He's saying. Maybe you just want to silently in your heart, right where you're seated right now, seating right now, just pray this prayer. Say, Dear God, I realize I've sinned. By the way, we've all sinned. There's not one person here today who hasn't sinned. God, I've sinned. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. I believe that your son Jesus came to this earth, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, he paid my sin debt, that he was buried, and three days later he rose again just as he said. God, I don't understand all of that. But I believe He did that for me. 
And right now, Lord, I pray you would forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins and ask you to come into my heart. I invite you into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to have a relationship with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. As heads are still bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe you're here today and you've already prayed that prayer. You're already a believer. Boy, you kind of settled for the status quo in your life. You haven't really pushed it to the next level in your faith. I want to encourage you right now to ask God to forgive you for settling for the status quo. And I just pray that right now that you would commit to go counter-cultural to the status quo of religious institutions across our land. May this be something that's real in your life. And may you pray something like this. God, I pray. I pray for that individual that needs to rededicate and commit their life to Christ right now. May they pray something like this. Dear God, there was a time when I was so on fire for you. There was a time when I was excited about serving you. And I've just let things, the busyness of this world, let things come in between me and you. And God, right now, I rededicate and I recommit my life to you. And I pray that you would forgive me. God, I claim 1 John 1, 9. It says, if I would confess my sins to you, that you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. God, I claim that verse today. I recommit, I rededicate my life to you. Help me, God, to be a counter-cultural Christian that goes against the status quo, that applies these seven characteristics to my life. God, I want to be on fire for you. I want to return, God, to my first love. Forgive me, God. Give me courage and boldness to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life, if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.